Welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are looking at buy, hold, sell and hedge. Interesting proposition in today's market. Plenty for you to take out of this. More importantly, it's going to enable you to get some peace of mind and sleep at night factor with some of the global events that are happening right now. Look forward to seeing you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Renshaw. Pleasure to be here, Mr. Baxter, and jumping straight into today's session, wasting no time at all. What I want to get your gauge on uh, four questions in today's market, bit of a different situation compared to what a lot of investors would be used to the last couple of years. Buy, hold, sell, hedge. What are we doing in each of those four categories? Oh, critically important times. And you know, to put that into context, I think you know, the, a lot of new people have joined the stock market over the last couple of years. Who can blame them? It's been a fantastic opportunity to make some great money. And you know, during sort of 2021 in particular, charts at the bottom left, top right hand corner type charts, you can't fail to make money. But I do believe that 2022 has already sort of shown its tusks insofar as um, it's a more volatile market. And I think the skill set required to succeed in it is probably a little different. And I don't say that to be condescending or patronizing. We've gone from a trending market to a choppier market. And a lot of those new folk that joined markets over the last couple of years are going to struggle in this. Uh, um, and I think a lot of people that don't have a fluid, flexible uh, and dynamic investment strategy are also going to struggle. So we'll explore that in detail. And, and to put that in perspective, you know, 2020, we saw the most amount of new market entrants, investors mm. being under the age of 30. So it's a brand new crop of active investors getting into the market. And as you said, it's been one way, bottom left, top right, now no longer the case. So as some context for our listeners here, AB, can we have a sort of a two minute summary on 2022 thus far in economics and markets? The big one, I guess, is has been inflation. Um, we've mooted all these points in our outlook earlier in the year. Go back, have a listen to that podcast. Um, you know, and inflation is a real problem, particularly for certain parts of the market. We've also um, seen the back of the pandemic, at least for the moment. Uh, we're in a situation where we're seeing interest rates tighten uh, instead of quantitative easing in the US. We're seeing quantitative tightening, and likewise here in Australia, where uh, we're at that crossroads now, where we're likely to see it. And these are very, very different factors to what you know, anyone that's really been you know, trading markets since 2010 hasn't seen those factors uh, spring to the, to, to the fore. And here we are, and they're all there and some. Um, you know, we've also um, seen you know, some geopolitical tensions, obviously China and Taiwan, but perhaps more importantly, what's going on in the Ukraine at the moment. All those factors mixed up uh, has certainly created a level of volatility um, that requires uh, an upskill or upgrade, or at least a, uh, an increase in awareness of for, for most investors. Totally. It's been a wild ride thus far, that's for mm. sure. And if we treat this session as a... A wild ride. Okay, let's explore that. $250 billion wiped off Facebook in two trading sessions. and that, a wild ride. To, that, that's the equivalent of the entire market value of BHP and West Farmers put together, wiped off in two trading sessions. That's it's extraordinary. Mm. It's a lot. And it's the tenor of the year. It's the, it's the theme at the moment. So if we treat this session as a portfolio rebalance, mm. AB, buy, hold, sell, hedge. Question number one. What are you buying? Yeah, you, you, you've got to rebalance your portfolio. Let's be you know, massively clear on that. It's kind of like a garden. There are seasons within the garden that you plant, you harvest, um, and, and that you pull out the roots of what's left of what was there. And you know, trading and investing is no different. And I think you know, a lot of people uh, are inclined to have a buy and hold portfolio, and they try and weather it out and be diversified to reduce their risk. I think you can be a little bit more active. And given you know, transaction fees these days are paper thin, um, it's certainly easy to do that. So to answer your first question, you know, what would I be looking at? from a buy perspective. Um, 
some of these aren't your run-of-the-mill financial instruments. I'm not talking about, oh, in these conditions, you go and buy Telstra or or BHP or whatever it may be. It's the, the, I think there's a little bit more finessing given the complexity of the marketplace. So I think, you know, volatility and volatility exposure is huge. Um, you know, we've, we're teetering on the brink of war in Europe with uh, with Russia and the Ukraine. And, and so trade, trading volatility or buying some volatility for your portfolio is key. How do you do that? Well, it's never been easier to do that. You can go to the options market uh, uh, or futures market, which is where we've played for years. But these days with exchange traded funds, take VIXY, V-I-X-Y as an example, it gives you the ability to take a view that volatility is going to increase. So you buy units in VIXY and as volatility increases, the value of your holdings go up. The importance of doing that uh, is likely to be profitable for a start in in, in a an, an environment where volatility is typically spiking. Um, and what that can be then used for is an offset to some of the pain that you might have in other holdings that perhaps have been sold off. So yeah, that's a, a good place to start getting exposure to that kind of asset. And this isn't about being a day trader. This isn't about um, you know trying to scalp the market. It just is absolute common sense uh, that if there are uh, you know, if there's conflict in Europe, there will be volatility in the stock market. It's as obvious as day following night. So get exposure to it, make some money or use it to protect your cash. Markets hate uncertainty and you're long uncertainty, so to speak. So it definitely makes sense on that one. Hmm. What about energy and hmm. oil? Yeah, like energy, uh, we talked about that, I think, in our podcast uh, fairly recently. Um, yeah, we're pretty bullish on energy and oil. We've got positions running in both. They've both, uh, you yeah, know, worked thus far very, very well for the clients. And that argument hasn't changed Um you know, as we see the reopening play uh, going on in the economy, um, you know, take flying as an example. More people are traveling now than they were a year ago because now you can fly. I'm off to the US in a couple of weeks' time, which I haven't been able to do for, for, for a period of time. And so, you know, just demand for aviation fuel alone is an example where you can expect energy uh, to, to have that demand pull uh, and thereby push prices up. Obviously, supply is reasonably constrained. There's also been, you know, big constraints in the investment in that space too. So longer term, there is a supply constraints to to kind of consider but yeah USO is an example for for, uh, for crude oil um, understand that US oil uh, as an ETF actually is a, a is an ETF that's based on the futures market so it can be quite volatile um, you know that one's not plain sailing so it's not for everybody but nonetheless if you've got a bullish view on energy XLE is a great example of an ETF where you know park some money in there and, and sit back and watch it go up OOO triple O or an ETF on the Aussie market yeah. as well long oil mm. what about a more controversial one if you're buying tech on sale, and as you mentioned Facebook earlier, there's a multitude of others, Amazon, mm. Google, then there's some pretty big dips. Yeah, look, tech is tech is a challenging one at the moment. I mean, you know, it, from some commentators' perspective, it's a dog with fleas, uh, and uh, and some, as the saying goes, you know, some man's fish is another man's poison. I think um, there are some tremendous value play to be had there. What we've seen in the tech sector. Uh, 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 Companies that are on very, very high PE multiples get smashed by inflation rate concerns. And when you look at big tech, the likes of Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Facebook, they're not trading in anything like those extended um, multiples because effectively they've been what I'd call commoditized. Um, they're not at the um, the vanguard of uh, of technology anymore. They're the big store type companies in that sector. So they typically are a little bit less volatile. And you're buying... In the case of you know Amazon, Google, Microsoft, very robust and predictable earnings um, and earnings growth. In the case of a couple of them, um, at relatively low multiples. So that's a that's an example of good tech acquisition. Um, bad 
tech acquisition, I would say, would be you know some of the value plays that are there. You know, if you've had, for example, uh, if you if you take Peloton as an example, um, you know, Peloton got a bike at home, ridiculously expensive, as are the ongoings, but great great product nonetheless. And the the um, the challenge with it is, with the economy opening up people aren't wanting to train at home now they can go back to the gym and and to an extent they might want to be more sociable than they've been over the last little while um yeah without um casting too much shade on users of those products uh, typically younger and, and social is going to the gym possibly meeting someone you're not going to do that in your class online unless you've got a crush on your teacher um so you know they, they've started to see quite a drop off in their earnings and, and and subscription growth so there's an example i suppose you could argue the same with netflix as well uh, which is sold off growth, yeah. um, on, on the same sort of rationale so when we talk about tech you know buying needs to be fairly strategic commoditized tech versus you know the avant-garde what's flavor of the month at the moment all right well the awesome tips there on the buy side ab question to you now what are you holding in that portfolio of yours? At the moment, I've got exposure to energy. USO is is, is certainly a big part of that. I've got exposure to volatility. Um, in terms of interest rates, um, TBT is 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 absolutely something that I'm looking at, and we can talk to you know what you can use that for from a hedge perspective. I think as as we go on through, I've got some Nasdaq exposure, geared Nasdaq actually, uh, on the basis that it's been a bit of a recovery play. That's something that requires um, careful management. What about some defense and utilities from a hold perspective? Yeah. So in terms of your hold um, type stocks, if you're in Australia, and we've seen this this week, you know, if you look at the banking sector, you can put a line through the middle of that now. You know, Commonwealth Bank and NAB, Premier Two Banks in Australia, Commonwealth by virtue of its size, NAB, I guess, by its business book, uh, and both have done very, very well and come out with really strong guidance. ANZ and Westpac on the other side of the coin uh, have struggled and provided um weaker guidance uh, and uh, a pointing out of slower earnings growth. So, you know, there's an example where you could be in the sector, but in the wrong stock, which is, I guess, part of the reason why I like ETF trading, it sort of reduces that risk. On the utility side, go to, in the US, SO, the Southern Company. I love that stock. It's, um, you know, and SO is the code, dead easy to remember that one. And that's a nice defensive uh, business, typical utility, predictable earnings. Uh, doesn't matter what's happening, rain, hail or shine, the earnings keep flowing for that company. And, and in times of turmoil, that's probably the sort of defensive type play uh, that makes sense to have uh, tucked away in the portfolio because you're gonna wake up in the morning and it's still gonna be green and still moving up. I think I like SO because the stock code is the initials of both my sister and my mum. So. There we'll we go. go. With that. There shouldn't be any room for emotion in trading decisions, as you all know. <laughs> but I'll go along with that. And look, it's also a nice stock to write options around as well, so you can crack out some some pretty reasonable and monthly income from that too. So you know, it ticks a lot of boxes. So utilities can be quite defensive. If you if you look in the Australian space, uh, just to sort of bring this local for a moment, um, AGL is one that would be topical, probably for the wrong reasons. Um, I think AGL is in a very difficult position right now, insofar as um, the notion of uh, of net zero is something that's obviously driving its business. It's got coal-fired power stations. That's never going to be net zero. And I guess what the business has done is quite smart. So AGL Australia will be one uh, spin-off, which will be the green energy component. And their goal is to have that at net zero, I think, by 2030, 2035. On the flip side, all the less attractive assets are being spun into, I think it's XL, 
uh, is what they're calling that one. And that's going to be coal-fired coal power stations and all the nasty stuff. Yeah, they've brought forward their closures of their power stations by sort of three to five years. And that's one uh, applause on one side of the coin, but you know, absolute horror on the other side where they've gone, it's too late, it's too slow. Uh, and, and I think what people need to realise is that until you've got a really bona fide and genuine green energy sector, closing down a power station or, or reducing supply with traditional, albeit polluting, power, uh, it's got the potential to jack up everyone's electricity bill, which is already pretty high and something that's a source of a lot of pain for a lot of households. And, and secondly, uh, the prospect of power blackouts if you don't have the capacity to uh, fill that in on a reliable basis and, and be able to transport green energy around uh, in as an effective way as you can coal. So it's controversial. Um, so when you look at companies like AGL, uh, even though they're in the utility space, I'd probably avoid them purely and simply because that corporate news flow and and, and the challenges that they're facing over the short and medium term with that green policy uh, is likely to weigh very, very heavily on the share price. So not all utilities are the same, not all banks are the same. So you do need to understand your fundamentals to make sure that you know, you're not trading on a landmine and, and picking up the wrong stock. Pays to read the news, that's for sure. It certainly does. What are you selling as the third component now? Look, I think... Um, from a from a sale perspective, and we're probably coming to this. I mean, what this kind of conversation highlights is the importance of getting information on a timely basis. And there'll be people that listen to this podcast, you know, months later. And, and so, what we're talking about today doesn't fit today's marketplace because you know a lot of it would have already happened. And indeed, you know, if we look at the advice that we provided our clients, getting out of rate sensitive type stocks, um, it, it certainly has been. Um, you know, an important component to this. Why? Well, interest rates are going to be moving up. They certainly will be in the US. The question is by how much? Um, you know, they're talking, is it half a basis point for the year? Is it one and a half basis, uh, sorry, 50 basis points or, or, or 150 basis points for the year? Here in Australia, we're likely to see the same sorts of conversations and and the impact that that then has um, on um on some of the more sensitive type stocks is, is huge. Higher interest rates usually result in a stronger Australian dollar. Um, what higher interest rates also do is affect borrowing costs. So when you've got companies that are very highly geared, uh, have a lot of borrowings on their books, they tend to be hit pretty hard. Um, other sales, there's a good one for you, Simic. Um, here's one of the biggest construction companies uh, in Australia. Uh, and you've got a company that's got you know, a turnover into, I think it's something like $14 billion in turnover. And their net profit was, I think, $400 million, which might sound like a reasonable profit line. But when you look at that as a percentage of turnover, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty thin. It's about 3%. And, and those sorts of companies where their margins are very, very thin, there's typically a lot of gearing in those types of businesses too. They're involved in a lot of government contracts. Yes, they've had dramas uh, when it comes to labor, like everybody has in terms of being able to hire the right staff and and, and keep their capacity there. Uh, but those sorts of stocks with thin margins, thin profit margins, you've got to go stuff that's got big, fat profit margins. Uh, as I said, that dependable cash flow utilities, your Microsoft, your Amazon, Googles, they don't have a rainy day. It's always sunny. It's just a question of how sunny. Um, whereas you know some of those businesses that perhaps are affected by margin, they've got to be out of your portfolio right now. Yeah, one blowout on a construction job and, and that's your year's worth of profit gone for a company like Simic. So yeah, I'd be pretty defensive and, and unloading anything that's either rate sensitive, thin margins and and susceptible to volatility and, and, and unusual conditions in marketplaces. Great yeah, advice. Probably argue commodities are looking a bit toppy too. So Absolutely. Mm. In that instance, then, what are we doing to hedge our portfolio? What kind of instruments or strategies would you employ? We've spoken about volatility. What mm. about more on TBT? Um, what about some short ETFs and things like that? Look, I think that's that's the play if your view is starting to become quite bearish. I like the volatility play because it's very short term. 
it, it has that big spike and then you're done and you're out of it. Whereas if you're taking a bearish view, that directional view on markets, um, that could be something that, that's, that can be quite protracted before you really see what you need to see. And so this then, uh, I guess, points the finger at what kind of asset do you use? You can buy put options to protect your downside. Um, you can buy put options to take a directional view on the downside and profit from it. But the, the the challenge is, of course, your timing because you're working against time decay. How long do you hedge out for? If you buy a put, is it a month, two months, three months, five months, six months, a year beyond? Uh, and look, there's a lot you can do there. You can buy a long dated put and sell short dated around it to get some income and to soften the blow. Um, but you are working against time there. And this is, I think, you know, kind of why I like using ETFs to an extent. Um, SH would be a short for the S&P 500 in the US, BBOZ, uh, looking, you know, closer to home here in Australia. Um, Bear, B-E-A-R B-E-A-R as well. is another one. Um, I think SQQ is one that I've had. That's, a, that that's just, spicy. It is super spicy. Ooh, yeah, so that's three I, times I, leverage? It's triple leverage on the NASDAQ uh, bearish. Uh, I, I traded that a couple of weeks ago when the NASDAQ broke down through 14,000. And I, I don't day trade anymore. I, I've kind of been there and done that. But the other night, it was the perfect confluence effect is my my daughter was not sleeping too well. So I grabbed her uh, and uh, she was she was sort of having a pretty bad nightmare, actually. So I grabbed her, brought her in the office. She, she had to sleep on the on the couch in my office and uh, next to me. And uh, and I um, and I got stuck into while well, she was having a doze there trading. Uh, Q and it's fantastic. It was it was a real buzz. We talked about emotion and managing that out of trading, but it was really quite nostalgic for me because you know that's what I used to do for a living, and it was nice to do it for leisure purposes. Quite profitable too. So S Triple Q, very geared uh, position uh, on the uh, downside to the Nasdaq. TBT is probably a bit of a slower mover uh, and probably somewhere to cut your teeth on, shall we say. And the idea of TBT is the ultra short US Treasury. It's effectively looking at rising bond yields in America, uh, which means basically falling bond prices. They're, they're inversely correlated. So what that means is if bond prices fall, bond yields go up. Uh, and um, effectively what that's looking to do as bond yields go up, which they do during times of rising interest rates or concern about inflation and rising interest rates, TBT goes up. And that's had a ripper of a run. It's got 12 bucks to 19 over the last you know, handful of uh, trading sessions. That's a bit of a slower mover. It's a grinder. Great for using options around it as well. And so again, if you're a portfolio client, oh, I'm just going to hold and I'll ride this out. If you're thinking that that's your choice, it's your money, you can do what you like with it, but it's a bit foolish and a bit naive when there's so much more value add that you can, you can have around. It's like saying, look, I'm a meat and potatoes man and I don't care what you put around me, whether it's salt, pepper, you know, Tabasco sauce, well, I don't have any of that, I just have meat and potatoes. And you could be missing out on some really interesting eating experiences by being more open-minded. Um, ultimately, yeah, you're going to get to eat what's on your plate, but you could miss out on something that's really, really tasty. And I think some of the trades uh, that we've alluded to really are quite tasty in terms of the opportunities that they've both already presented and bank profits from, but also the fact that the vast majority of them have still got quite some distance left in them uh, in terms of being able to help people make money, which is what this is about. Gotcha. Variety's the spice of life. I like that in more ways than one. It can be. You just got to know when you're putting putting it on your plate, it actually is something that's not going to blow your head off. Uh, that S triple Q trade is is not entry level. You know, you want the hard hat on for that sort of thing. But, you know, it's we, we talked about what we're trading right now, and that happens to be something I've been trading. So. That's an awesome sort of recap. Buy, sell, hedge, and hold. Mm. As we come to the end of the broadcast, AB, listening to this, and you make it sound easy, as you always do, because you've had 30 years in the game. Mm. But for anyone who's brand new, where do you where do you go? What are you doing in order to learn this kind of information to therefore make then decisions? 
Yeah, that's uh, it's, uh, it is easy once you've been doing it for a long time. Actually, it's never easy. It's always a challenge because the pieces on the puzzle are all in different places every time. Uh, the picture might be similar, but they're all in a different place. So definitely get educated. I, th- I think that the, the notion of buy and hold um, is done for this year. Uh, it's going to be a very, very choppy year. And I, as I said, you know, just the example of the two Aussie banks outperforming, two Aussie banks underperforming is a classic example of that. Take Afterpay as, as another example of this. If you've enjoyed the ride up, it was time to get out when it was at 130, 140, 150 bucks. If you're holding onto it now and it's at 60 and falling, uh, it's going to continue to because it's uh, it, it basically is making no profit. We've talked about Afterpay uh, plenty of times uh, in this show. So it shouldn't form part of your long-term portfolio because it's got no basis to be there on an earnings valuation basis uh, or indeed you know outlook and forecast so you've got to be you get what you came for you made some great money on something that had a good run it had its day time to take the profit move into something else equally if you're in you know stocks that have performed quite well um, you know there comes a point in time where you've got to part company with them and if you fall in love with your portfolio just like anything in life when you fall in love with it it's a huge amount of emotion I know that's a hypothetical for you Mitch you know you're a cold-hearted uh, Cold light from you. <laughs> um, you know, if, if, if you fall in love with something, it, it, it can very seriously cloud your emotion. We call it the endowment effect in our trading psychology program. And so, you know, looking at your portfolio, is it doing what it's supposed to be doing? Is it something you categorize as being at risk from the current set of circumstance? Is it defensive with dependable earnings? We've talked about the likes of Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Southern Company as examples of companies with great earnings. And we talked about the danger of just picking something in a sector like utilities, which are typically defensive. But if you haven't kept up with the fundamentals like AGL, um, you could be trading on a really, really bad landmine there too. So you've got to kind of get your head around this with a process. It doesn't happen by accident. So we specialize in teaching this kind of stuff on a very much a ABC nuts and bolts perspective perspective so that our clients can make more informed decisions and not have the blinkers on that I'm a buy and hold investor. I've been a buy and hold investor. I've made a lot of money being a buy and hold investor, but I'm not always a buy and hold investor. In just the same way, I've been a day trader. I've made a lot of money as a day trader, but I'm not always a day trader. There are times in the cycle where it pays off and there are times in the cycle where it pays to be flexible. So that sort of flexibility, I think, is absolutely crucial. And as the joke goes, you know, what would you say? Buy, hold, sell, buy a parachute, hold on tight, sell everything. Um, <laughs> that would be your ultimate defensive uh, position. I don't think we're at that stage. And I think there's a, a groundswell of financial instruments, not just in options and futures, but in other kinds of things like ETFs that give retail investors a very, very good opportunity to get what they came for, which is you know, lower volatility, um, more consistent, lower risk returns, and, and they're brilliant instruments for that. Awesome, AB. Sage advice as always. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Anytime, Mitch. There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating so we can get this message out to more people, and we look forward to hosting you next week.